Hello and welcome back to the Life Unboxed podcast. This is episode four and today I'm going to be speaking with Harry Johnson. Harry is a longtime friend of mine and someone that's played rugby at some of the highest levels possible in the UK. He has played rugby for Cardiff Met University, one of the better universities out there for rugby. So he's had a pretty extensive training and development schedule. And today I talked to him a bit about what it takes to really get to a high level, not only in rugby, but just generally at whatever you're interested in. We also speak a bit about stress and anxiety. And it was a super interesting conversation. So if you do like it, please drop a follow and leave a five star rating. It would mean a lot to me. Like I say, this was a lot of fun to film. I hope you like these interviewee style episodes i'd certainly like to do a lot more of them and if there's anyone you can think of that would be an interesting person to speak with then shoot me a message instagram and will be in the description without further ado here is episode four the first thing i actually wanted to talk about today was training obviously you've had pretty extensive i'd say extensive you probably extensive like career and you've trained at a higher level than most people so I guess what were the I just start to start with let's just talk about it so do you want to say maybe a bit about what you've done the levels of rugby you've played at and just talk a bit about the training you've had absolutely um extensive might be the wrong word seeing as I've now officially retired at the age of 25 but um <laughs> no take what you will of course the experience is yeah very varied um and starting from the beginning if, if that's what you'd like so obviously mm-hmm. I, was, I was in Winchester um where, where I was born and grew up so I was there from the age of five all the way up till 18. during that time obviously played school rugby and played in the national competitions and things like that um but it was all very amateur and and just for the love of it really and obviously had some amazing experiences on their own so it doesn't have to be a professional environment to have fun as you know um but for me things so went from school then we went to peter simmons with obviously the college and then went to university and university was something where it started to become a bit more serious um with the with the buck super rugby and sort of that top tier of university rugby where essentially you know allows a student to essentially train and play in an academy setup that was really my first flavor of not a full-time environment but it relatively was you know with sort of 10 sessions a week type of thing balanced across you know across studies and everything and then from there once i graduated went to play play in hong kong semi-professionally so in in the hong kong premiership and then from there was lucky enough to play um in france for one year in in national so and that was full-time so yeah like you said a big a big range of experiences, perhaps not extensive, but definitely got a flavor for what's out there. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I didn't even appreciate there was, so 10 sessions a week is what you were doing at, at Cardiff. Well, I have to think back now, but yeah, approximately. So we'd obviously double up on days, um, naturally to fit around study times rather than having longer sessions. So if I was to compare that to when I was full time, the time I was in, on the full in during when I was in France doing full time things was obviously longer, but we'd have more days off. Whereas at university, because you have obviously your your main time is, is studying, you'd have to sort of split your time between you do a really early session in the morning and really split late session in the afternoon and the evening. 
So that's why, I mean, it sounds dramatic when you say 10, but yes, in order to fit it in, you'd have to sort of break up sort of the, the portion of training and what you needed to get done in the week. Um, and then obviously that included weekends and, and matches and things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, sure. So of those, what would a typical week look like? So you say you had 10 sessions, so I guess it wouldn't all be weights. It wouldn't all be kind of on-pitch stuff. How was it kind of broken down? Well, I could try and give an exact summary of what I was doing at university. So we'd start the week on a on a Monday. So we'd have a, a gym session Monday morning, and then we'd have a team uh, rugby session on Monday evening. Then you come in on the Tuesday, you'd have another gym session um, on the Tuesday. And again, it depends on what team you're in. So obviously 10 session was sort of a very full week. Um, and if you were sort of, let's say, between the first and the second team, they play on different days. So it's sort of even though there were sessions, it weren't some, some were really intense sessions, some were not, it just very, it's very difficult to sort of give, you know, a blanket statement. It was very specific to each week. The Tuesday would say like minimum one gym session in the morning. Then if you were playing Wednesday afternoon, you'd obviously have that game. That's four sessions already. Thursday, then you'd have a recovery session Thursday morning. And if you were also what we used to call doubling up. So if we were playing on a Saturday as well, at my university, we played in, in the university league and then also in the, in the Welsh Championship, so a different league on the weekend, I would then have, so you'd have the recovery session Thursday morning, you'd then have a, a, a rugby session Thursday evening. And then Friday, if you were, you'd have a gym session. And that, again, that would depend if you were playing or not on the Saturday. So, and that depends on the type of session you'd have. So if you were playing on the Saturday, it'd probably be a light sort of power up. Whereas if, if you weren't, the Friday would just be a normal big, big gym session. And then on the Saturday, you'd either have I'd be playing a match or I'd come in for extra conditioning and fitness on the Saturday afternoon for the non-players. So yeah. And then Sunday off. So pretty much something every day, um, give or take. So, you know, t t 10 sessions wasn't every week, but it was a, a ballpark figure that certainly, <laughs> certainly you knew you were doing it. Yeah. yeah, it was very good. That to me, <laughs> um, it's obviously, as you said, a lot of it, was quite intense you had your games you had the intense sessions you had some mm -hmm. recovery but i think a, a lot of people listening will probably be doing some form of fitness whether it's kind of gym or running or whatever it is so to me managing to get through 10 sessions a week it's kind of crazy and the, the question that pops up to me is how did you how did you sustain that in terms of the recovery you were doing were there any kind of underlying things that really aided your recovery and your ability to you know do an evening session and then go again the next day and the next day what were the mm. what were the big things that helped you recover i mean naturally i don't get me wrong it wasn't all plain sailing and it wasn't always easy to do the sessions you know sometimes especially sort of in winter waking up at quarter to six on a monday morning was never fun but things that helped me were definitely finding the enjoyment so essentially enjoying the little things that sort of generic statement but very much okay let's say let's take a monday morning gym session it's freezing cold outside i don't want to get in the car to defrost it you know before a long day of uni knowing i've got another session in the evening that's not fun if i was to look at it like that but i would try and pick out one thing in the session or was there a fun exercise that we were doing or you know were we able to go into the gym and, and it sounds tiny but sort of like finding you know playlist because every for example every monday we made it as a team that a new person would pick the music for the warm-up and like you could have fun with that and i would then you know it's it's only a small thing and you but you try and focus on that and 
that's sort of what got me through it. And then over time, you find out exactly what you enjoy. And it was much easier in my second and third years when I was living with other rugby players and we'd come together and help each other get up, help each other, you know, get motivated. We'd have a laugh in the morning and you've got to just try and enjoy it for what it is rather than going, oh, I've got, you know, I've got gym this morning. I've got uni later. Just be like, oh, well, I get to do this as a, you know, I, I, if I do this session, I get to play on Wednesday for the big game. And that, you know, you find the enjoyment in the week rather than breaking it down into the, the tiny sort of mediocre session. Um, but it's like, if it's like anything, I'm, I'm sure you were the same, Jamie, when you were doing your studies and trying to balance your, your rugby alongside it, you'd have to, you know, if it was raining outside, there's obviously a lack of motivation or whatever after a full day of, of work. So everyone finds their own thing. Like, do you have anything that you sort of, you looked for and you got you through things i think what you were saying about enjoying it is a a huge huge Mm. part and uh i think that's one of the big things that separates people that go on and do really well at something as you did with your rugby to everyone else because yeah that that enjoyment and there's a there's a quote actually i i picked up from another podcast i can't remember where it was but it says the person who loves walking walks further than the person who loves the destination so a lot of people will be really focused on what the end point they want to get to is whether it's being really wealthy or they want this position at their job or i don't know they want to be a world-class rugby player but do you love the little moments in between and my experience of rugby was that i loved you know getting on the pitch with all your friends and fighting to to get a result and you're all there together i just I loved it and I, I still miss it now and I'm, I'm sure you do as well. But if you, if you don't love those in-between moments, then it's going to be really difficult to be good at anything. And that applies to rugby in this sense. But as I say, it applies to everything in life. If you don't enjoy the thing you're doing, then you're not going to do very well at it. And the way I relate that to this podcast is so far, I mean, it's still quite early, but I've enjoyed the process of it. I've enjoyed setting things up. I've enjoyed... Uh, this is the first conversation I've done with someone else and you know it's it's a lot of fun to speak with you so I'm not focused on I want to start making a lot of money a lot of people said oh how are you making money off it is it our revenue and obviously not there's no one not enough people that listen to it so it's not about that right now for me and mm-hmm. I think as soon as it starts being about that will be when I eventually start probably failing mm-hmm. and stop doing it so and, and what's relatable to that because it's really interesting is I naturally obviously when I was playing amateur rugby from when I was five I just did it for the love of course and like you're saying just you know you're not in it for making money and you know the chances are I you know I got I got lucky being able to make money from from rugby but people do it for the love and, and that's that was great and but there was a significant change when I started playing for money when I got a contract whether that be semi-professional or professional it certainly did takes it, it changed it for me and I won't, and you know, there were definitely times when I was playing full time that I wasn't, I wasn't in it for the love anymore. It was just sort of like, okay, I had a re- contract aside. It was just very much, it was a different thing for me. It was very much, okay, I do this now because I'm a rugby player or or whatever. And rather than finding that enjoyment, whereas at university, no one's tied me to anything. I could have stopped if I really wanted to but I was really enjoying it and I was enjoying sort of chasing, you know, being the best you could be sort of thing with your teammates and with your friends. But where I went to France and you're sort of, you then have like a, 
it's, well, it's like anything, you have a, an obligation, a contractual obligation to do your job. So if you're not up for it, you then sort of rely on the fact that you're not forced to, you know, of course not, but that's sort of where the motivation comes from rather than the enjoyment factor. It becomes sort of like a, well, I have to do it now. Mm. And then, for, for you know, it's not the same for everyone, but that's suddenly that I noticed that the, the, you know, lack of love for it towards the end purely because it became a, a chore, not a chore, that's very hard on rugby, but <laughs> you understand what I'm saying, sort of difficult, difficult sort of to, to keep that sort of really high level of enjoyment because that was all you're getting from it, whereas now you're getting paid and enjoyment. So, yeah, takes yeah. A for a bit. Yeah, I, I understand that. And I, I think, I mean, I, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't necessarily say, and I know you won't, when you become like so good at something you do get paid for it that the enjoyment necessarily goes i my impression for you is it kind of wasn't like a coincidence but they kind of slightly just overlapped almost mm, absolutely that's fair to say yeah um so yeah but that that's really it's really interesting mm. and i think people listening and i remember well not even that long ago where i really didn't know what i want to do and a mm. lot of people especially in their early 20s kind of thrown out of school and college and uni or whatever you've been doing and you expect it just to just know where you're going and figure stuff out and i think a lot of people really struggle with that i know some people that do and i certainly did at some point and i'd say the best place to start is look at the things you you like doing the things you do when no one's watching and that, that keep you going and think how can i lean into that and mm -hmm. Kind of lean in on those skills that you're either good at but more importantly that you really enjoy and if you enjoy it you'll probably get better at it as the better you get at it the more likely that you can eventually do that for a living and so yeah that's kind of my take on if you don't know exactly what you want to do start with something you enjoy and see where you can go from there lean in on that yeah absolutely yeah what i read read jimmy carr's um autobiography is actually very good at highlighting that although yeah you know, he's a comedian, but very uh, interesting man and very educated. But he was saying about finding your edge, find out what you like, you say, what you're good at and what skills you really enjoy doing. And sort of then it doesn't have to be in the same um, sort of sector or, or market of it, but just like lean into that and really just sort of say, OK, I love working with people. Great. Go into a customer facing role. Don't go into sort of somewhere where you're in the back office because then you won't a have the chance to to use those skills and have those experiences that you you know you enjoy you know really lean into what you're good at if you have a stereotype that's sort of almost placed on you by your friends it might be for a reason and sort of look into that and be like oh, okay that's what you're i'm known for and then you can start thinking about it and we'll sort of develop that idea a bit further and be like yeah i do enjoy doing stuff like that i do enjoy being the really athletic one why not i'm going to do a triathlon or you know something like that i'm going to go into sports management or and then you lean into it and then you keep the ball rolling and you just sort of discover through that but it's yeah it's very much discover by doing and mm. then yeah yeah i think that last point discover by doing because a lot of a lot of people are like oh man where do i start like even if they've got something they like doing like how do i make something of this and I've got another quote. I've not got too many, so I won't hit you with them, with them all day. But uh, it's from a guy called Chris Williamson. I'm not sure if you've heard of him. He does this really cool podcast called Modern Wisdom, and I've listened to that a lot. It's, it's been excellent. A lot of really cool things. And his quote was, 
perfectionism is procrastination masquerading as quality control mm. so when you're starting something you might think i'd take the podcast again for example i could say you know i'm not going to start quite yet because my camera isn't uh mirrorless it doesn't shoot in 4k and i really want to be really good quality so i'm not going to start until i get that or i don't know like it will tie to that you can you can think of loads of different things that will that you could say to stop you from starting something and i think the best way to start something is just by getting something on paper mm. you know just trying it can be the first thing you do will probably be terrible and i'm hoping that at some point i'll look back on these first podcast episodes and think man you really suck right then or because <laughs> right now it's like it's fun and it's cool and you know i'm i'm trying my best but i want to look back and think oh you've come a long way yeah. but i'm proud that you started because a lot of people it's that it's almost that fear and it's slightly different thing a fear of mm. rejection and failure but it's like if you don't do something that's perfect people are going to look at you and, and judge you maybe that's part of it it's like oh that camera quality isn't half as good as mm. chris williamson's camera quality so why would i even bother starting you know yeah so well, you've got to be you've got to be in it to win it right exactly yeah exactly. you can't you can't achieve your goal if you don't start or you can't win you know win the race if you don't if you don't enter the race so yeah i i completely i understand that completely yeah that's a good point because then you again you develop you don't know what you don't know so right now you don't know what you can improve on really without doing it right you could you could write down a few skills of how to be the perfect podcast host but then later on you'll look back and go that you know you just you just googled you googled that you wouldn't you didn't have any general idea but then over time as you develop your own skills you know what you you're good at or what you could bring in to how you host things and things like that so yeah kind of constant development for sure that makes sense that that's something i touched on in the podcast i did that talks a bit about failure and confidence and Mm -hmm. I think over the last few years, I've managed to, I think more by luck than good judgment, but develop a really good positive relationship with failing things. Because at the start, it's so scary failing and you almost view it as a bad thing. But I actually think failing on a, I think it's Gary Vaynerchuk talks about micro failures and macro failures. The micro failures are those small things that actually don't have that much impact. It might be like a day or two of feeling like, oh man, I've, I messed that up, I messed that up, whatever. But I think failing is such a good thing. And for me these days, I, I somewhat welcome it in, the, in those small things because you can, only, you can only learn things by trying and making mistakes. Like you said, you've got to be in it to win it. So if, I don't know, again, we'll keep talking in this podcast for the kind of framing of this because I guess that's, that's what we're doing at the moment. But if i don't know i talked to you before we started about how i did an episode the other day where i thought it went really really well it was the episode i did on five and a half life hacks and i recorded it i thought man that was a good one i felt really good afterwards i find out that the sound quality had messed up and i had to redo it which was really annoying because like i say i thought it went well but i re-recorded it and probably didn't go as well because a lot of it is kind of ad-lib so you can't recreate those moments you just stumble upon but having that experience of again quite a small failure has meant that now i double and triple check every time (laughs) (laughs) so 
I mean, this is when I find out I haven't checked this time and it is still going to mess up. But I think having those small failures will help develop yourself and whatever you're trying to do so, so much. But you have to have them to be able to improve. You can't just jump into something and be perfect it straight away. You've got to fail and that each failure kind of gets you up the, the block. And yeah, I think it's super, super important thing. But you, it's, it's difficult if your relationship with failure is that it's a bad thing and you're scared of it. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The uh, a second topic I wanted to touch on and... Again, I think you're uniquely positioned with some of your experiences in rugby to to talk about this. Is well, for background, I'll say, as we've alluded to, I played at a high level at rugby. And was it your first year of playing at at Cardiff Met where you got to the final, the Bucks final, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Harry played fly half. So for those that don't know rugby, fly half probably. most important position on the pitch you, you don't have to say it i will it's certainly one of the most uh how would you describe it i think it, uh, i think that's yeah, it's the most involved it. position one of the most involved positions sure i mean for sure i'd yeah. say there's certainly a lot of pressure though on fly halves when it comes down to the small things like kicking yeah that no one else really has to face, even within a rugby context. So there's, there's pressure on a whole team that gets to a big final that's played at Twickenham in front of however many thousand people. But there's even more pressure on the fly half who's got to kick for goal in a final and, you know, do all of this. So with that being said, what were your... Did you have any techniques that helped you handle pressure and nerves and anxiety? Because... You must have surely had quite a lot of that in those changing rooms. You're a fresher. You're against these guys who are probably, I know you're not a small guy, but they're a lot bigger than you. They're, they're go, they see that fly half like that little pressure. We're going to, we're going to get after him all game. They're going to hurt him. How did you cope with the stress and anxiety of being in that position? Great question. Um, I've not thought about this for a while, but you know, let, let's focus, obviously, there's so many different elements to, as you say, a fly-half. So if we were just to take the, the kicking, for example, because that is a sort of, so, you know, you're very much in the spotlight when that's happening. And you just, I don't know if this is something, it's, it's difficult for me to answer because I don't know if this is something that I've developed over time. But I've always sort of, when when there's pressure in a final and you are the kicker and you are essentially responsible for getting the points for your team it's just sort of that's what you practice for and it's more of an it's an excitement feeling of course there's nerves but it's a nervous excitement of i can't wait to take this kick because i've you know where every 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 time i've gone out on my own for hours on end kicking the ball at the post i used to dream as a kid of kicking a ball through the post at Twickenham to win a match or whatever. And, and I'm sure I'm not alone on that. So the fact that you actually, I saw it as a, as a, as like an achi- a small achievement that I even had the chance to get the kick to win the points. Cause I saw it as, wow, I get, to, I get to get three points at Twickenham. Like five-year-old me would love that, you know? And I saw it in that way rather than going, oh no, if I miss this kick, I've got a couple of thousand people watching me miss the kick in the final. And it's just very, you just sort of have to trust in it. And don't get me wrong, there's, of course, 
nerves do play a factor in it and I, I did actually miss my first kick <laughs> but um, I think it's very much down to having put in the work beforehand and feeling confident in myself as a kicker regardless of where I was kicking that allowed me to sort of have that mindset of achievement you know and and, and looking forward to the kick because I and, that, and and that's very much if you see them on TV nowadays Johnny Wilkerson you see you know he's very much a stereotype of keeping to a kicking routine and you know he put his hands together and things like that and he used to say about focusing and breaking down the technique and the run-up and and the whole kicking process down into tiny minuscule steps so when you're under a pressurized situation you it's very difficult to get it wrong right so you don't want an elaborate run-up you don't want all these sort of mini steps and things like that because when you're nervous your mind's everywhere and you're trying to focus on the basics so if you were to for example when i kicked i used to break it down so I would, instead of going, I don't know, this may be getting a bit more technical, but no, you're good. instead of going three steps back, three to the side, um, I would just get to the ball and go at a diagonal that I knew would line up with my foot and just go three steps back. So that's already taking out an element that could waver. If I take tightly, you know, if I take three small steps that are slightly off, that's better than taking six that are slightly off in a high pressurized situation. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I'm already taking out a factor uh, of variability. And it's also the same with Johnny Wilkinson used to speak about if you can, you know, spot someone in the crowd or whatever, reading a newspaper and try and focus on one word within the newspaper. So obviously if you aim small, you miss small, that sort of thing. And it was very much sort of trusting in just, okay, I'm at Twickenham now, I'm not at a local field, but the process is still exactly the same. So when I'm training on a random field, I'm looking at a leaf on the tree behind the pitch rather than now I'm at Twickenham. I'm just focusing on the seat. Right? You know, it's all the same, just slightly different context, slightly different areas. So it's very much just trusting the fact that, okay, I've done the work. You know, I luckily enough, I enjoyed kicking and I enjoyed taking myself on my own for a couple of hours a week to do kicking. So I just sort of, you know, again, it's that finding that enjoyment. I enjoyed going kicking, so I did the kicking that then gave me confidence to enjoy kicking in a match. Do you see what I mean by the whole sort of circular effect? Yes. Because if I hated the kicking, I wouldn't do it. And then when I came to the match, I'd feel more pressure. And then I wouldn't want to take these big kicks and the big moments. And I'd see it as a pressure rather than an achievement, an opportunity. That makes so sense. If that's sort of painting the picture of what I was thinking, yeah. Yeah, that and... That's awesome. I, I like how you broke that down. And the two kind of takeaways I took from that, and you, you said that you viewed it as more of a, an exciting opportunity and a privilege that you could kick the ball at Twickenham, which is something mm. that, again, for non-rugby fans, any rugby player from being a kid all the way up would just like dream in, of doing. In England. In England. in England, sure. I mean, even probably not in England would think it's pretty cool to kick it, but particularly English people for sure. And you compared that with the mindset you could have had, which is I'm in front of thousands of people. I'm going to miss this kick. And both things are completely true. Like the situation's the same. You were in front of thousands of people and you could have missed the kick. And like you said, you end up missing that first one. And then it's also true that it's awesome that you're there and you're excited, but this is the one you focused on. And the question to me is, why was this the one you focused on and not this one? And that comes back down to confidence. And 
this is something that again it, it's cool you you framed it that way because it really lines with how i think these things work as well that you only build up that confidence and belief in yourself by by putting in the time and i've got another quote i haven't got this one written down so i'm gonna have to just <laughs> add a bit a bit um so this is an alex hormozy quote i i've already said it in one of the previous episodes if i don't get it word for word you hopefully get the gist that is don't become confident by shouting affirmations at yourself in the mirror mm -hmm. you become confident by i wish i had this word for word but it's pretty much saying that you can say you could turn up on that pitch and say oh i'm, I'm gonna make this kick i'm gonna make this kick but if you hadn't been all that time all those hours and probably what are we talking tens or hundreds of thousands of kicks beforehand i mean i know you i saw you getting down at winchester six o'clock when we were both 15 in the rain we'd be there for a little bit so you yeah. probably kicked a ball like that tens if not hundreds of thousands of times right yeah well I, yeah I don't, obviously it's very difficult to put a number but since yeah sure a lot for, of a lot, times. For, for many many years yeah a lot of time so you had the confidence and not the fear of failure but that positive mindset because you subconsciously knew i've done this so much i've successfully made this kick this many times and this is just the same thing so i think yeah and the the example i used in the podcast on confidence talking about running a half marathon or mm. a marathon whatever but I, i've signed up for a half marathon so that's why i talked about it and you don't just go from not running to being like, I could run a half marathon. I mean, you could try it. You probably wouldn't do it. But if you build up running, so I don't know, you start off with running like 5K or whatever in 10K and you build up and eventually you're running half marathons. You've done it before and you turn up on the race day. You're not there just hoping and saying, oh, I can do this. I can do this. In the back of your head, you're like, oh man, I don't know if I can do this. I've never done it before. But if you have done it before, then you've actually got that more positive mindset. And I think that's actually what, at least part of the reason you were able in the kicking context to feel calm and excited because you know within yourself, this is something you've done before and therefore mm. you can do it again now. And, and I, just, I always used to have that mindset of what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You know, and I, I, maybe it's a privilege be it thing to be able to say um in sitting here now i've got no pressure on me to talk to make it the kick and it's obviously very different when you're in the environment but at the end of the day i okay i missed that first kick it took him in front of a few thousand people i don't think many people have that at the forefront of their minds well, how many years later F five years later six years later i i just no but just at the time you think it's that sort of okay, everyone is watching you, you know, the whole feeling of, ah, it could, and you could relate this to any part of your life, if it's going to the gym for the first time, doing public speaking, you know, everyone thinks everyone watches everyone else, right? So you walk to the gym, you think everyone's watching me. But you know, for your fact, well, Jamie, when you walk into the gym, okay, you might just glaze around, but you don't really, you don't really acknowledge what everyone else is doing. You know, if you went to the gym this morning, I'd, I'd reckon you couldn't tell me what the bloke in the blue t-shirt was squatting for how many reps, you know, you don't remember that sort of stuff. And it's very much sort of that mindset of kicking. So what's the worst that can happen? Okay, it's quite embarrassing. And it's not, obviously it's not great missing the kick. And okay, worst comes to worst. 
you know, we I didn't we didn't win win that final, but I'm I don't remember the negatives of it. At the end of the day, I'll only remember the positive experience of being able to make to have the opportunity to kick and line up that kick at Twickenham rather than the fact that I missed three points at Twickenham. I I you know, I, I will tell people about the time I got to do some kicks at Twickenham. I won't you know, I won't dwell on the fact now five years later. And I think that's the mindset that can be so transferable in life that you you're not going to regret the things that you tried, like you were saying about the small failures. You know, you won't regret doing those at all, even though they feel big at the time. They're insignificant. And okay, there is a risk. And let's say you fail, you know, three out of the five times you do it. But those two times you do achieve it, you'll remember those. And I think it's having that mindset and sort of allowing, again, okay, it comes with confidence and different people find different motivations and things from different things. But that from my personal experience and is, is that's how I felt I thought I'm a first year what's the worst that can happen okay my friends and call it you know other fellow students rip me for the next year or the whole of the summer but you know at the end of the day I got to kick a ball at Twickenham that yeah it's putting it in perspective I think yeah I think I think yeah you touched on another point which I I really try and live by and I, I've kind of Come to see it more over the last year or two and there's been some studies and i always say i'm going to find and link the studies in the show notes i never do so you just this could be a lie for all you know but it i understand it to be true and even if it's not true i think it's a good mentality to have there's been a load of studies done on people and older people that are coming towards the end of their lives and they're asked about regret and overwhelmingly they say they they don't regret the things they try to do they regret the things they never try to do and i think that's really poignant and it's like i say something i've thought about quite a lot is like when i you know if we're 50 years in the future and we're looking back on our lives i it it scares me almost not like an active fear but the thought of man i didn't try that thing i really wanted to do because i was scared of what someone else would think Mm -hmm. and the thought of getting to that point in my life, and there probably are loads of people that are, you know, 80, 90, really like the back, the back end of their life. And they wish that they tried to, I don't know, become a writer when they loved writing when they were younger, but they never did because they thought, I don't know, Stacy from, from down the road might laugh at my writing. They might, she might think it's terrible. And th- these older people now, they have no chance to, to go back and change that. Like, that's it. They, they don't get another a rerun. There's no restart on life. So I try and keep that at the forefront of my mind with a lot of the stuff I do. That I would rather give something a try and it go absolutely terribly and I crash and burn and a few people may laugh at me. That's, you know, that's fine. I would rather do that and have that small kind of tough feeling right now than get even to like 50 and look back at when I was 25 or 26 and say, man, that was the time where you should have been trying these things that you wanted to do. And it, it gets more difficult the older you get. So like I say, that's quite a constant thing that I think of when I'm trying something new. It's like, I'd rather this go badly now and I can say I gave it a go than get to another point later in my life. And um, what if I tried that? And then mm-hmm. you just don't have the chance to. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree totally. Yeah, it's just an interesting way of framing it. And uh, 
this isn't a quote, but this is something I saw again in, I think it probably was a Chris Williamson podcast that, again, I think with Alex or Moses, so we, we've hit on both of them already. And it talks about the people that you're worried that will judge you. So everyone can probably think of someone, either it's a person from school or from college or that friend you don't really like, but they're somehow friends with you in your friendship group. But you're worried what, what that one person will think. But at the end of the day, that person isn't going to, they're not going to come to your funeral. They're not, they don't care about you. They'll forget about it in three days. So mm. why are you letting that one person who doesn't even like you enough that they will be at your funeral one day? Why are they just controlling what you do and how you live your life? And I still, I, I can appreciate that it's difficult to get from a mindset of kind of fear of what other people think into a fuck them mindset. But I think if you just try these small things and cite the episode I did on confidence about kind of taking those small steps when trying something new, if you can do that, then you're going to start building that up and you get enough small failures then you start doing things you really want to do without a care of how people will view it i think that's uh yeah that's really important so i think we're coming to the end of this harry and it's been great speaking with you so thank you for jumping on being the first guest that we've had on this it's a privilege it's been it's been cool and i did give you some forewarning that i want to finish all of these off with a question and that question is what is the best piece of advice that you've ever received it's a, it's a great question. And it wasn't actually sort of a, a piece of advice. It was more of a, to add to yours, it was a quote that somebody told me. And it was just three words. And it's commitment over ability. Right. And I used to have this written, it sounds, I used to have this written on my wall at uni. And it very much sums up my time. So it's sort of very succinct with what I was trying to achieve whilst at uni so commitment over ability so what that means to me is no matter what ability you have whether that be Olympic standard world champion your commitment level is always higher than your ability so as you get better at something your commitment level also increases so you're always slightly ahead with your commitment over your ability and from that by staying committed your ability will naturally improve so it's almost like a a yin and yang sort of situation and sort of it allows it to sort of nurture itself so as long as you're staying committed and you you know you, you create that routine or whatever is important to you that when your you know routine takes over when motivation is lacking that sort of thing so if you're keeping that routine going with your commitment your ability will follow so as long as you you know don't if you if you realize you now at the top of your game and your ability is at a really great level and you suddenly drop off your commitment your ability will drop off so it's very much important to keep that com commitment level just above the ability. I love that. I love yeah. that. It's that old hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard type thing. Yeah. Out all the buzzwords. You are loving your quotes. I am. Yeah, absolutely. I, am. I picked a few up. But no, that's a, it's a really good thing to maintain. And I think for people, and we just circle back to enjoyment, and you may think, oh, I really enjoy doing this, but I'm not good at it. The chances are, if you commit to if you well let's again let's just use writing a book as an example you think i want to write write but i'm not good at it you're going to get better if you keep doing it it's just it's mm -hmm. just natural and you you're watching those youtube videos you're actually going out and writing and that one sucked but the next one you did is a tiny bit better and 
but it still kind of sucks. But the more you commit to doing that, that's how you get really good. And like you say, as you start getting better, your commitment gets higher. It just becomes stacking on top of each other. Exactly. And then it just becomes part of you to keep like, having that high work ethic. So, For sure, man. Well, let's wrap it up there. Thanks, dude. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been really good chatting with you. And uh, hopefully we'll get to do this again sometime soon. Yeah, well, thank you very much for having me on. It's been great to be your first guest. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Cool, mate. Thank you. See you later.